Today we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter number 2, and so if you would take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 2, if you would, and as you're turning there, if you're physically able to do so, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter number 2, and uh, we're going to read verses 18 down through verse number 22, uh, but uh, I do plan to get through this entire chapter today. And after today, we'll be an eighth of the way through the book of Mark. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reaching that milestone. But uh, Mark chapter 2, verse number 18. The Bible says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse." And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and thank you for the words of Christ that we got to just read. Lord, I pray that you'd use these verses and this passage, Lord, uh, to clear up some real confusion that took place in in the hearts of those Pharisees, but also, Lord, even in sometimes our own hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would use this message to change lives and to do what we cannot. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. For those who were visiting with us today, uh, several weeks ago, in fact, this is the seventh message in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we are walking through the life of Christ in the book of Mark. I chose this because it is the shortest of the gospel, and so I hope that we can uh, get through it as quick as we can, okay? Um, it's going to take some time to go through this, but I think it's a worthy study, uh, a worthy series to, to think about, especially this year, as our theme is looking unto Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith. And so, if we're to look unto Jesus, we really need to have an understanding of who Jesus is and uh, what better place to look uh, at who Jesus is than the Gospels. And uh, we're going to be learning about Christ as we go through the book of Mark. Well, today we come to a portion of Scripture uh, where, as I mentioned in my prayer, there were people who were very confused about certain situations. And uh, Jesus came to clear up those confusions. Um, have you ever been uh, confused about a certain situation and lacked real understanding until you, you, the light came on and it was like, aha? Well, people today are very confused in our culture about a lot of things. Uh, some people are confused about what sport is better, college football or hockey. Uh, I want to once and for all clear it up this morning that uh, the greatest sport of all involves ice Skates, sticks, pucks, nets, penalty boxes, 
uh, or as they call it in the business, the sin bin. Uh, and uh, that is the best sport. Hockey is the better sport. So now there's no more confusion in our church what the best sport is. I have just cleared up that confusion for you. Some people are still confused about the deliciousness of pickles. Uh, my wife, for instance, is still confused and thinks that pickles are not delicious. And uh, I'm going to clear it up for her one of these days. Uh, but I give those silly examples to uh, also say that seriously, in our culture, in our world today, there is a lot of uh, real confusion. Uh, they're confused about what gender uh, that God made them. And uh, that has been a uh, very current confusion that is going on in our society today. Um, people are confused about the value of the unborn. Um, they don't understand that these are uh, real people living inside a mother's womb and that do not need to have their lives taken from them in the name of convenience, in the name of uh, uh, women's rights. Absolutely not. They're confused about a lot of different things in this world. And uh, the disciples of John and the disciples of, and the Pharisees were also very confused as we walk through this passage. And so Jesus wants to clear up some of the confusion that they had. And uh, I, I hope that perhaps if you are confused about some of these things, that, that God will grant you some clarity along these lines. And so um, let's dive in and see the clarity that Jesus gives uh, the people there uh, regarding very, three very important aspects, uh, very important truths. And uh, let's look at them uh, very briefly this morning. First of all, uh, let's look at the fact that there was confusion about self-denial. There was confusion about self-denial. In verse number 18, it says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. Now, fasting wasn't exactly commanded in the scriptures. Uh, there is a, there's a portion of the Old Testament that talks about uh, during the Day of Atonement for people to afflict themselves. And certainly fasting is an aspect of affliction that uh, we could uh, put on ourselves. But nowhere in scripture does it say, thou shalt fast. Now, many of the Pharisees ended up not just fasting uh, once a year, but they ended up uh, taking this idea, this concept of fasting, and, and making it in a twice-a-week ritual. And we, we, we see in Luke chapter 12 and, or 18 and verse number 12 where the Pharisee says, uh, I thank you that I'm not like as other men are, like this publican over here, and I thank you that I fast twice in the week, bragging about his, uh, his self-denial. I remember one time when uh, I fasted. Uh, I'm not, uh, I definitely don't fast twice a week. I'm definitely not a Pharisee in that, in that regard. Uh, but I remember when, one time when I fasted, Julie and I decided to fast together. Um, and uh, this was before we were married. This was uh, back when she had just finished one year of college and was deciding on uh, what she would do as she went back for her next year of college. And uh, we were trying to decide. I really wanted her just to do one more year of college because I had graduated. I had graduated that year, and I was moving on to ministry. And uh, I didn't want to wait two more years to get married. I, I wanted to hurry this thing up and uh, go ahead and get married. 
but uh, I didn't want to make that a big pressure thing for her. So I decided, hey, let's take some time and pray about this decision. Now, she originally went to college saying, I just want to go one year. She's not a big school person. And uh, to think she is homeschooling all four of our children, that's a scary thought. She is not a school person. Um, but uh, she's doing a great job doing it. And I'm thankful for her diligence in it. Uh, but here's the, here's the thing. We decided to go ahead and pray and fast about this decision on whether she was just going to get a, a two-year degree, and that meant we could get married the following summer. Or if she said, you know what, I'm here, uh, and there was people in her life saying, you need to finish all four years. So we needed a, God's guidance and God's will. And, of course, I had my will. Let's just do two and get married. Uh, but I wanted the Lord's will. So we took some time to uh, pray and fast. And uh, I remember uh, I remember working and not eating and taking my lunch break and walking and praying and asking the Lord's blessing and the Lord's guidance, the Lord to make it very clear to her what she should do. And I was really hoping it was just to do two years. Well, finally, uh, I think the next day we, we decided to talk. It was during the day, and I said, uh, okay, well, uh, what has the Lord shown you? And uh, she said, well... I really believe that going two years is going to be great. And I was like, I'm really good with that decision. That is amazing. Thank you, Lord, for directing her to just do two years instead of four. And I remember after she said that, she's like, okay, can I eat now? Because <laughs> I am really hungry. Like, I'm not good at this fasting thing, she was saying. And uh, I said, yeah, you could go eat. And so she, she, went, and, she went and ate right away. Now, fasting is obviously a great spiritual discipline, and it's a very healthy thing. And, and uh, several men in the Bible practiced self-denial of food. Uh, they even practiced self-denial of sleep. I think of the Apostle Paul. And then the Apostle Paul also talked about fasting from the physical relations in marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. So there's this principle of self-denial is definitely evident in Scripture. Of course, we know that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness as he was tempted before he began his public ministry. Uh, we know that Paul fasted. We know that Nehemiah fasted and prayed after hearing about the walls of Jerusalem being in shambles. Remember, the entire city of Nineveh ended up fasting and praying after Jonah preached his brief sermon that judgment was coming. And uh, if you remember the in the Christmas story, at the very end of that Christmas story that we usually uh, go through in Luke chapter number 2, uh, one 84-year-old prophetess named Anna, uh, one thing that she was known for was that she fasted. So fasting is a very important part of the Christian life, and it's been practiced throughout the Word of God. There's even an expectation of the Lord Jesus regarding fasting. It was Jesus who said, when ye fast, not if ye fast. So there is an expectation in our Christian lives that we would fast. While there's no command, there's an expectation. When the disciples were unable to help the person with a demon, Jesus told them that the combination of prayer and fasting was required in situations like that. So fasting is a good and wonderful discipline when it comes to our relationship with God. But one commentator pointed out correctly that fasting can also impart a false feeling of sanctity. That I'm fasting, therefore, I'm more spiritual than you. It can make the user feel that he can force God's hand. 
God, I'm fasting, so therefore you must obey uh, my prayer. Fasting can also become habit-forming for- and ge- degenerate into a formality. It can also make a person self-righteous and critical of others. I fast twice in the week, and you don't. <sighs> can't believe you. I'm so much better than you. It can also become a substitute for genuine holiness, and it can be legalistic where you've got to do all of these things and do it so often, or you're not right with God. And uh, the commentator ended there, but I would add one more uh, regarding the uh, kind of the the bummers of uh, of fasting is that sometimes it can lead to making someone hangry, okay? How many of you get a little, maybe some of you are hangry right now and going, would you please hurry up so we can get to the fellowship meal? Um, But... uh, I know that uh, when I fast, it, sometimes, you know, when you don't get that, uh, that blood sugar up, it uh, can create some uh, pretty irritable, uh, it can create an irritable pastor. It can create an irritable husband and a father. Now, so fasting is a good thing, and it was practiced by many, but it, there's also some pitfalls with fasting as well. And uh, here these disciples in verse number 18 of John and of the Pharisees, uh, they were used to fasting. This was something that they practiced. Uh, and, uh, and so they come and they notice that uh, Jesus' disciples is walking around and they're not fasting. They keep eating. And they're, they're not taking time to, you know, be all somber and, and, uh, and they're critical of it. And they're confused about it. And so Jesus answers their question and confusion with the truth about who he is in verse number 19. He said, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? And so what he was saying is, look, I am the bridegroom and uh, I'm here. Now, I have been to several weddings in my life and I don't think I've ever like went on a fast when I went to a wedding. That's not usually the time you, you, you go on a fast when, when there's a big wedding and a big celebration. And, and back in those days, uh, when there was a wedding, it was, not, uh, it was not just get married and then the bride and groom take off the same day. There was a seven-day uh, celebration. I'm really thankful that we live in New Testament days. That I'd have to stay around for seven more days with the family. I was able to bounce that same day. Get on to that honeymoon. But, uh, but back in those days, what they would do after the wedding, they would have seven days of celebration and there would be food and feasts and, and uh, family and it was just a big time. That's not the time to go, oh, no, I'm fasting. No, you, you, you're part of the celebration. You're part of the festivities. And, and Jesus is saying, look, I'm here And uh, there's really no reason right now to start fasting. There's going to come a day when I'm going to be gone, and that's the time to start fasting. But while I'm here, you don't need to have all this self-denial. This is a time of joy because I have finally come. The reason that some of you have fasted is so that one day the Lord would send the Messiah. Well, newsflash, I'm here. So he is our bridegroom, and it was a time for feasting and joy. It's like Thanksgiving time here in America. 
Like, who would decide to go on a fast on that thir third Thursday of, of November? Uh, not the best time to go on a fast. Now, if that's really what the Lord wants you to do, uh, I'm not going to argue with God on it, but uh, I just think that, boy, that's a time of celebration, a time to give thanks for the blessings that God's given us, a time to enjoy those blessings. Look, there is a time and a place for everything, and the wisest man who ever lived, uh, Solomon, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says there is a time for every season under heaven. And uh, this is a season that what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm here, and we don't need to do all this self-denial. Self-denial can be a good thing. One of the blessings of fasting in my own life is when I do, it, it helps me to know that I can say no to this old flesh. Sometimes this old flesh is hard to say no to. But when you fast, you're telling your flesh no. And that's a healthy thing. But it can also lead to some other negative things if we do it uh, in the wrong manner, in the wrong motive. And so he tries to clear up some confusion regarding self-denial. It's a good thing. We are called in the scriptures to deny ourselves. Remember that? Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Uh, we are to have some self-denial. Uh, but, but when it comes to fasting and all these rules and, and regulations, he's saying, look, we, we, we can put those aside for a little bit because I'm here. The bridegroom is here. It's time to enjoy and it's time for uh, them to uh, feast. And so there was confusion about self-denial. But then secondly, notice there was confusion about salvation. Uh, what these men were doing were thinking, how can these guys really not fast and feel like that they are right with you? How, how, can, how can they not fast and be right with God? And so here... Jesus clears up the confusion about really the most important subject of all, and that is salvation. And he does so by giving two very important illustrations. The first one is a garment repair illustration. Okay, now I am far from a garment repair professional. Probably the furthest thing from it. Uh, in fact, I shared recently uh, how that my sewing experience is is limited to say the least. Um, I took home I took home economics in the eighth grade with my best friend. It was an elective, and uh, we we talked about it. and We said, "Hey, let's take home ec." Not because we wanted to learn home ec, but because we knew there'd be girls in home ec. And so we thought, "Hey, if we take home ec, we're going to have like the only two guys there, and then all these girls. It's going to be awesome." And so, sure enough, we, too, were the only two guys in home ec. It was great, except for when we started to actually have to do the class. That part wasn't so great, because we had to do things that we had zero interest in, like sewing. We had to learn how to sew in home economics. And I was like, man, at least I should get a girlfriend out of the deal, and I did not. I did not. It kind of backfired on me, and I had to do all this work that I had no interest in. And uh, I remember when it was, the, the, that was the last subject we went through. We, we went through cooking and stuff, and I really struggled with it. I'm like, just give me a Pop-Tart and a toaster. I can probably handle that. And a bowl of cereal, I can probably handle that. Uh, and really, that is the extent of my cooking skills. Uh, I can make some good Pop-Tarts. I'll tell you that right now. 
but sewing, uh, we, got, we got the pattern uh, for this. We had to make a sweatshirt. And so my, my, I wanted to make a, a, a black sweatshirt. My, my friend wanted to make a camo sweatshirt. And so we, we decided to do this sweatshirt. So we got the, the pattern, we got the fabric, and then we had to cut the, the fabric according to the pattern. And, and, and then we were given a sewing machine and learned how to use it, kind of. And uh, my sweatshirt was an absolute disaster. I mean, you ladies would just die laughing if you saw this. It was, it was a horrible, horrible mess. It, didn't look, it looked nothing like a sweatshirt. I mean, not even a dog would be caught dead wearing this thing. I mean, it was bad. Okay, so I'm not the, the right guy. Uh, I, this particular illustration about um, fixing a, a repair on a garment, I'm not, a, I'm not the guy who knows how to do that. But here's what he says in verse 21, Jesus does. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. So here we have a garment that has a bad hole on it, but it's an old garment. And it's already been through the wash, and it's already seen some wear and tear, and it's already shrunk uh, over time through the sun and through the washing. And there's a big hole in it, and so you get a piece of new cloth, and then you put it and attach it to and, and fill that hole. Well, then you wash the garment. That, that new piece of cloth is going to shrink and uh, in the wash. Uh, I've, I've messed up a few garments in doing the laundry from in my day and age, and uh, I've been forbidden to do the laundry uh, because of that, which actually worked out in my favor. If I would have known that that was going to be the result, I would have purposely done that earlier. Um, but, but the idea here is that when this new piece of garment or this new cloth starts shrinking, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rip and make the tear even worse is what Jesus is saying here. Now, what's the application? Essentially, what he's saying is that it doesn't work to add new to the old. Christianity is this new piece of cloth and the old garment, worn and torn, was Judaism with its feasts and fasts and its ceremonies and rules and regulations. See, Jesus didn't come to patch up Judaism. He came to completely replace it with Christianity. And so Jesus did not come to simply patch up my old life. He came to give me new life. He came to give you new life as well. So Jesus then goes into the example of the wineskins in verse number 22. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled. The bottles will be marred, and the new wine must be put into new bottles. And so evidently in, the, or in those days, uh, where they stored their wine was in, uh, was in animal skins, most likely goat skins, what would happen is those goat skins, after time, would get brittle. And then after the wine is poured out, to put new wine in there before it ferments, it's not going to work, Jesus says. Because what happens with the fermentation process is it produces gases and that skin expands. Well, these old skins aren't able to expand. And so they burst. And the Bible says here, um, else the new wine does burst the bottles. That's what he's talking about. 
and the wine is spilled and the bottles will be marred. New, mi- new wine must be put into new bottles. So he's saying, look, we, we don't need to add Jesus to our life. No, no, we need Jesus to give us brand new life. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. What we need is a new life in Jesus. He didn't come simply to be added to our life. He came to become our life. Um, your Bible's open to Mark chapter 2. I want to show you a verse in uh, Colossians in chapter number 3. Colossians in chapter 3. He didn't come to just, you know, oh, I just need to add Jesus to my life. You know, I've added car insurance to my life. I've added tornado insurance to my life because I live here in Oklahoma. By the way, homeowner's insurance is way more expensive in Oklahoma than it is in a lot of the other states we've lived in. (laughs) So thank you, Oklahoma. You know, I've got, you know, car insurance. I've got motorcycle insurance. I've got homeowner's insurance. I've got all these things in my life. I guess I need eternity insurance, too. And uh, I'm just going to add him to my life, and uh, then I'll be fine. Well, Colossians 3 and verse number 4. Let's pick it up in verse number 3. It says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, he is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. See, the Lord is our life. And that's what he came to be. He didn't come to just be added to our old life. Uh, our old life, our, our, our life before Christ is like an old goat skin that is crusty and, and, uh, and, and going to break if he comes in. Uh, he needs to give us a whole new life. And, and it goes to show us that, look, we're, we can't, we're not saved by our works and we're not saved uh, in our religion. We're saved through a relationship in Christ. Uh, there's a verse that I'm going to put on the screen, Romans 11 and verse number 6, and it says this, and it's kind of a tongue twister, uh, but it says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And what, he, what Paul is saying here in this verse is this. We're either saved by works only, or we're saved by grace only. It's one of the two. And uh, what, what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 2, in, in going through these couple illustrations, is look, uh, I'm not here to be added to your works, your fasting, your uh, faithful religious exercises, No, I'm here to give you a whole new life. Uh, I'm not going to just patch up some holes in your life and make you all better. No, no, I need to give you a whole new life. I'm not here to come into your old wineskin life. No, I'm going to get, you need a brand new life. And that's why he came. So we're saved either all of grace or all of works. It's not a mixture of the two. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 tells us what it is. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Titus 3 and verse 5, Paul said, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus here in these couple illustrations help us to clear up the confusion about salvation. That it is all of Him and none of us. There, it's not that we need to try harder. It's not that he, we just need to add him to our life. No, we need him to completely replace our life and to become our life. Big difference. And so we, he clears up some confusion regarding self-denial and regarding salvation. And then thirdly, he clears up some confusion regarding the Sabbath because there was tremendous confusion about the Sabbath. Let's pick it up in verse 23 came to pass that as he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, back in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did? When he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. Now what do we know about the Sabbath? Most of us know that God instituted in the law as part of the Ten Commandments this idea of the Sabbath. In fact, it's the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now, this Jewish Sabbath started on our Friday night at 6 p.m. and went until Saturday at 5.59 p.m. The Pharisees took the concept of the Sabbath and created an impossible tradition to keep. Instead of being a day of rest and renewal... It became a straitjacket where they were uh, not able to do anything. Uh, it's the Sabbath, can't do anything. Well, I want to go. Nope, can't do it. It's the Sabbath. And it became impossible for anybody to really obey. It was impractical. And so these Pharisees, as the disciples, Jesus and the disciples were walking, in verse 23, they, they went through this field, These Pharisees were much like those hall monitors back in school. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those hall monitors that, you know, kind of power tripping, you know, probably wearing their glasses like this, have their little clipboard, and uh, all of a sudden they think that, you know, they're the authority in charge. And so these Pharisees are there in the field uh, watching Jesus and the disciples and going, "I'm, I'm waiting for them to mess up. I've got your name. And so they're like, I'm going to report this one to the principal, you know. And uh, that's how they were. That's, in my mind, that's how I see these Pharisees. Um, and they were there just trying to find fault in Jesus. And so they followed Jesus in the fields and waited for him to mess up. Now, <clears throat> the Lord actually gave provision for taking the corn way back in the day. Um, you say, well... Isn't that kind of, you know, like, did that corn really belong to them? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says this. When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand. 
So here, the Lord back in Deuteronomy gave provision for this. So what they were doing, the issue wasn't them taking the corn. It was the fact that they were doing it on the Sabbath. Well, evidently, the Pharisees thought they had provision to accuse on the Sabbath. Uh, they were able to do that, but taking food to eat, no can do. And so the Pharisees were okay in accusing and being critical. That's allowed in the, on the Sabbath, but uh, actually eating is not. Pl plucking and eating were not. So the Lord, in response to these critics, he referred back to an event in the life of David, who, by the way, was their hero. Uh, these Pharisees, of course, knew David and his life and knew all the ins and outs of his life. And he brings up an event that took place in David's life that uh, was a little was a little odd. Would have probably created some controversy. It was a difficult portion of Scripture for these Pharisees. And so uh, he says in verse 25, Have you never read what David did? Of course, they probably, knowing the full well that they had indeed read what David did. When he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the showbread which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. So uh, way back in, uh, in the life of David, uh, he was running for his life from King Saul, if you recall that. They were really hungry, and they came to the tabernacle where uh, there was a table of showbread there. Now, the only, only the priests were allowed to eat that bread, but the high priest gave permission for them to eat the showbread uh, because they were hungry. Now, they weren't priests. David wasn't the priest. He wasn't even the king of Israel at that point. He was just the guy running from Saul. Now, he had been appointed as king, but uh, that, that was yet to happen yet. And, of course, this story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and you can read it when you get a chance. Then Jesus goes right to the point in verse number uh, 27. Well, let's read that. It says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The point was that the law of the Sabbath was meant to be a help and a guideline for man to provide a day of rest and renewal, to be a day set aside for the Lord. It was a day made for man and not man to fit into a legalistic set of rules that were impossible to follow. So he was saying to them, look, you guys keep making this little deal about the Sabbath way more important than it needs to be. And by the way, this is just the beginning. Uh, we're going to see some more even next Sunday uh, as he heals again on the Sabbath. And I think the Lord did that on purpose, chose to heal more on the Sabbath day than any other day of the week. To kind of let everybody know that you are not saved by following the law because no man can actually fulfill the law completely except for the Lord Jesus himself. And so, yes, the law or the Sabbath is not meant to be a, a straitjacket, but let's not let this go the other extreme either. Uh, this does not mean to say that we now have the license to fill our Sunday. And, of course, the Sabbath, the believer's Sabbath would be uh, really considered Sunday. This is the day uh, that since the resurrection of Christ that Christians have set aside for the Lord's, as the Lord's day. This is our Sabbath. This is not meant to say that while we don't need to have these legalistic rules 
in place regarding it. It's not to say that now we go to the other extreme and say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want on the Sabbath day or on the Lord's day. I'm going to fill it with all kinds of activity and do all kinds of things and, and not honor the Lord on this day. No, there is still an expectation that we do honor the Lord. Uh, it was made for man that we might be spiritually renewed, that we might be physically renewed and restored and re rested so that we're ready to go for the, next, the rest of the week. But many times we fill it with all kinds of things and then we face our week all drained because of the weekend. This is a day where we're supposed to be rested and rejuvenated for the rest of the week. Again, not a ritualistic and legalistic set of rules, but it is made for us to help us uh, be more effective. And so finally he ends, he could have ended with verse 27, but I like, I like what Jesus said in verse 28. He ends with a very bold statement. It was like, Okay, you think that's, he, he's not just teaching them, then he teaches them not just about the Sabbath, but about who he is. And verse number 28, therefore, the Son of Man, I can't help but thinking maybe he was even pointing to himself when he said that, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So he is once again declaring to be God in human flesh. And of course, this didn't sit well with these Pharisees. They, they, didn't, they didn't love hearing that. Uh, the Son of Man is Lord also of the, harp, uh, of, of the Sabbath. And so here he clears up some confusion regarding some very important issues. Uh, the issue of self-denial. How important is it to fast? Well, it is important, but we need to be careful that uh, there is a time and a place for it. And to not let it become a ritualistic thing that we are thinking that God's going to uh, be... Um, we're going to earn God's favor and acceptance because we fast. We also have the confusion of salvation that, hey, I'm very involved in my religion. I do a lot of religious things, therefore God's going to accept me. And uh, maybe if I add Jesus to my life, if I add all these other religions to my life, then, then I'll be all good. No, 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 no. It's not about adding another cloth to your garment. It's about getting a whole new garment altogether. It's not about adding Jesus to your old life. It's about getting a whole new life, a whole new wineskin for him to come in. And so that it will be expanding as he begins to uh, change and develop within us. He's not going to change. He's going to change us. Uh, let me clarify that. So uh, this morning, I hope that this helped clear up perhaps some confusion in your own heart regarding self-denial. Uh, regarding salvation and also the Sabbath as well. Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, which uh, helps us to understand a little bit better uh, regarding the importance of self-denial and fasting. Oh, it's an important aspect of the Christian life, yes. There's instruction regarding it in the Word of God. But Lord, help us to not depend upon it for uh, us to be right with you, uh, like the disciples of uh, John were and, and the Pharisees were. Help us, Lord, to use it as you lead us and guide us. And Lord, thank you for being that bridegroom that came. Thank you for coming to save us and to offer us salvation. 
And then, Lord, uh, as we think about salvation, Lord, help us to remember that it's not by works which we have done. And Lord, we need you to come in and not, not uh, just be added to our life, but to completely become our life. If there's one here today that's never trusted you as their personal Savior and placed their faith in you alone, I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision today. And then, Lord, regarding the Sabbath, Lord, we're grateful that it's not a day with a bunch of rules and regulations on what we can and cannot do. But, Lord, it's a day that you set aside for us to uh, cause us to get some rest physically, spiritually, emotionally. Help us, Lord, not to just fill it up with all kinds of busyness and activity so that we're depleted and, and, uh, and exhausted before the week begins. Lord, may we dedicate this very first day of the week to you. And uh, may you be honored and glorified with all that takes place. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask uh, the instrumentalist to play through this uh, song, Jesus Paid It All. And uh, as they do, I want to invite you right where you are to have a time of prayer and maybe a decision uh, right there in the seat there as they play. Lord, we are thankful that you did indeed pay it all. And as a result of that, all to you we owe. We know that. And uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to dedicate our lives to living for you, uh, not because, not in order to try to gain your acceptance, but because we already are accepted in the beloved. Uh, thank you for the wonderful privilege of knowing you as our Savior. And uh, Lord, if